Good morning, New Day. Great to be with you. I was stopped at the bottom of the stage by Adrian Holloway, who's on his way off the stage. You never get to know what happens back here. I'm walking down the steps and Adrian says, I don't know what you're talking about today, but I think it's going to be good. And I paused. I said, thank you. And he said, I don't always have that feeling. And I thought, well, thank you very much. And then he quite he backpedaled and said, I didn't mean about you, but I thought that was enjoyable. So I'm going to, what we're going to be doing, we've got three mornings together with you. And I'm going to be looking at Jesus and his kingdom through the images of seeds, yeast, and bread. Seeds today, yeast tomorrow, bread on Thursday. That's how we're going to do it, based on the Gospels. And if you have your Bible, could you grab it? We're going to be in John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Because the power, in the, the, power of the Word of God is what you really need to change your life. You want the Holy Spirit to take hold of it, make it live for you, and transform you, as it has done for Jonathan and Alex and me and many of you. Um, but we're going to look at seeds, yeast, and bread in these three sessions. And if you've ever read the Gospels, you will have probably noticed that Jesus is always going on about farming and a lot of the time is talking about food. I don't know if you've noticed, but he's often talking about sowing or seeds or yeast or flour or wheat or harvest or bread or loaves. He's just always going on about things to do with but bready stuff. And we're going to look at some bready things to try and draw out the, the meaning of it and understand something of the gospel that God wants you to know for these three days and for the rest of your life. Two of Jesus' huge miracles, not just one of them, two of them, involve him providing miraculous amounts of bread for crowds roughly the size of this one. One, 4,000, which is almost exactly how many of you there are. One, 5,000, which is when half the 12 to 14s join us as well. He puts a request for bread in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. So he says, you want to know how to pray? Pray like this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as in heaven, give us bread. That's, it's right in the middle of the Lord's prayer. He then breaks bread at the conclusion of his ministry and says to his disciples, this is how you will remember me, with bread and wine. He says, this is my body broken for you. On Easter Sunday, he rises from the dead and again reveals himself on the way to Emmaus by breaking bread and then disappears. And then when he, at the very last story in the Gospels, in John 21, he's hanging out with his friends on the beach, makes them a barbecue and gives them fish and bread. And so from that point on, the church has always done that and said, we're gonna, we're gonna break bread. We're gonna make a lot of the image of bread. But I think a lot of us wonder, why is it that when God becomes man, when the creator of everything steps into human form and serves and moves among us, why does he spend so much time talking about bread? or seeds, or wheat, or flour. What's the story here? And we're gonna look at that and understand why it is. And today we're gonna to start by looking at Jesus as the seed. Jesus as the seed, and then tomorrow yeast, and then bread on Thursday. So John chapter 12, if you haven't found it now, you never will. John chapter 12, verses 20 to 26. And when I finished, I'm gonna say, this is the word of God, and you're gonna say, amen. Okay, which is your way of saying, yes, it is the word of God, and these words have more power than mine, okay? because this is Jesus speaking. So I'm gonna read John chapter 12 and verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat 
falls to the ground and dies, it remains only one single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. This is the word of God. Amen. That was poor. Let's do that again. This is the word of God. Thank you. I want to ask a question at the start. And that's, is life a comedy or a tragedy? What do you think? Is life a comedy or a tragedy? Does it end happily ever after? Or does it all end in disaster? I don't mean, is your life happy and funny or terrible and tragic? Because actually at any given time, there's probably a bunch of us here today who are going through something like what Jonathan just described to us. Something incredibly painful has happened in your life. Others of us, we're walking on cloud nine, right? So we're away with our friends. England just won the ashes. What's not to like? And we've got others who will be in the middle and say, well, there's good bits and bad bits of my day. I don't mean that. I'm not saying, is your life now going well or badly? I mean, is life as a whole, is the nature of the universe and the nature of your life in this world, is it fundamentally comic, as in it has a happy ending, or fundamentally tragic, as in it has a sad ending? Okay, so you've studied Shakespeare, I expect. Many of you are studying, who's studying Shakespeare right now? Or who's just finished exams on Shakespeare? Lots of hands, okay. Clapometer, who studied Romeo and Juliet? Who studied Macbeth? Wow, popular. Uh, Hamlet, any Hamlets? Oh no, too long. King Lear, oh, also too long. And weird as well. Um, who studied, what about the comedies? Has anyone studied Much Ado About Nothing? That's my favorite. Anyone studied Midsummer Night's Dream? Taming of the Shrew. No, that's not very, not very contemporary. Um, so we've got a, lot, a whole lot of examples, and you'll, some will be many, many others, I'm sure, that you've studied. But you'll notice, I'm sure you've been taught this, but what a comedy is, is not a story that's really funny all the time, although some of them are. It's a story that goes down in the middle and up at the end. That's what a comedy is. A comedy is shaped like a smile, right? It, it starts, you meet the characters, something goes wrong, there's a problem, but it gets resolved and ends happily ever after. A tragedy is the other way around. A tragedy is something where you meet the characters and it looks like it's going well, but then it, something goes wrong late on and it all goes horribly and then they all die. That's a tragedy, right? And if you're halfway through Romeo and Juliet, I'm sorry to spoil it for you, but what happens is that in the middle of Romeo and Juliet, it looks great. It's a star-crossed lovers, they're making speeches. One of them's played by Leonardo DiCaprio. It's beautiful, isn't it? And we're on this lovely middle ground and you think they all love, oh gosh, oh, what a sweet story. And then it all goes wrong, communication problems, friars get involved and everyone dies in a horrible fade to black. And that's the nature of a tragedy. It's shaped like a frown, up in the middle and then down. Whereas comedies are shaped like a smile. And my question to you is, which is life Really? Is life fundamentally comic or is it fundamentally tragic? Does it go up in the middle and down at the end forever or does it go down in the middle and up at the end forever? Now, in most views of the world, most of the people actually who are in your school, many of your teachers I expect as well, they might not think like this, but actually if you analyze the, the view of the world they have, the chances are they'd have to say it is tragic 
That is, we have some fun now, but in the end, we're all going to die and that's that and we're out of here. And we fertilize the soil. That's my eternal destiny is just to seep into the ground, whether I'm burnt or buried, and I will gradually just become back part of the, the ether. And our bits of me in 300 years time will be found behind radiators and just dust. That's what I'll be. And that's a tragic view, right? Now you might say, oh yeah, but look, we can have fun now. But actually the shape of the ark, if you don't believe in any God, any resurrection, any hope like that, the shape of the ark is up and we're here and you're teens. So you're like on the way up, right? But you're here. But then actually towards the end of your life, you start losing your physical strength. You start declining. Then you go into a home and then you go into the ground. You're really glad you came, aren't you? But that's the shape of the world, shape of life, if you hold a a materialist version of the world, a secular story. And that's actually a lot of people would are brave enough to accept that. So I got a a quote here from um, Professor Lawrence Krauss, who's a a kind of academic, you'll often see him on YouTube doing lectures and things like this. Got the slide? The picture that, he didn't spell it, spell it like that, don't worry. The picture that science presents to us is uncomfortable because what we've learned is that we are more insignificant than we ever could have imagined. And in addition, it turns out that the future is miserable, says Professor Lawrence Krauss. You wanna sign up for his class? But he's saying, if you understand what the universe is teaching you from an atheist perspective, and he's a very famous atheist, that's one of the reasons people have heard of him, famous scientist, atheist. He says, if you understand the story, you gotta be realistic. This is a tragedy, it is miserable. Because you're in now in a bit of life where you've got a bit of energy and vibrancy and the sunshine and all that. Okay, so you can, you can, you're living here, but in the end, the future's miserable. You're utterly insignificant, says Lawrence Krauss. You've got no value at all in the end. I mean, you might think you do, your family say, oh, we love you, but you don't really, he says. And then you just disappear into the ground and eternal destruction awaits you. There's um, a band in the 90s called The Verve. Do you know that? Does that ring any bells with anyone? Bittersweet Symphony. This is why everyone my age walks around brooding and wearing sort of thick beards, right? Apart from me, um, because they're all, they all listen to The Verve when they were, like I did when they were about 18. And he just said, it's a bittersweet symphony, this life. Try to make ends meet. You're a slave to money, then you die. It's tragic. It's the tragic arc of life. Now that's a pessimistic take, but there are actually quite a lot of optimistic takes on life that are quite shaped like a tragedy as well. So have you ever seen a book or a, like a travel thing that says something like, 31 things to do before you die? Who's ever seen a book like that? Who's ever seen 1,001 places to go before you die? I don't know who has the money to do these things. Advertising, in a way, is tragic. What it's doing is saying, there's nothing wrong with that, but I used to work in advertising, there's nothing wrong with it. But what it's trying to do is to say, listen guys, you're gonna die one day, you won't be able to have any fun at all, so you might as well spend all your money now on this new thing. And that'll make you happy, for now. But in the end, fade to black. In my generation, there was a movie that you probably haven't seen, maybe not have heard of, called The Dead Poet Society, but it was a big thing, and you have seen. Wow, you guys are very, I was gonna say, what's the opposite of being down with the kids? Like down with the grown-ups or something. Dead Poet Society, kind of 
a really interesting film, but they, Robin Williams, before he died, of course, is, is saying, seize the day, carpe diem. You've got to seize the day because one day you're going to be worm food, so make sure you make it last now. 10 years ago, it was YOLO, wasn't it? You only live once. A lot of people said that, even at New Day 10 years ago. Everyone was, oh, YOLO. It was one of those things people said because you only live once and therefore, oh, gosh, one day, nothing. So maybe spend it all now. And that is all, that all tells us that there is a tragic shape to the story that most people in the world live in. They might be very happy about it because they're at the top of the frown. They're in this bit here. They go, yeah, 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 okay. And then, but then eventually it goes down and out. It reflects a fundamentally tragic view of the world. It's one of the reasons why people in our culture don't know what to do with very old people. So actually, if you, look at a, you wanna look at the way a culture looks at young people. So our culture loves people your age because you spend money on the things that they can sell you. And actually a lot of people my age spend a lot of their money trying to look your age. That's very weird in my experience. Um, but what happens when you look at someone who's 80 or 90, we don't celebrate those people. We don't put them on adverts unless it's for other things that very old people might do. And the only time people say, look at this old, people, this old person, aren't they great? Is when the old person's doing something that young people are supposed to do. So if an old person runs a marathon, everyone goes, wow, isn't it amazing? because the old person's doing a young person thing. But when an old person sits in a chair, sharing wisdom and reading a book and doing a crossword, no one celebrates that, because people are aware that one day that will be them and they don't wanna think about it. And so there is a tragic shape to human life if you buy a, a, an atheist view of the world or a materialist view of the world. There's nothing but matter. You're all atoms in the end and want, you're, now, you're in this bit of the curve now, but you're going down there. You're basically, life is shaped like a firework, you might say. Baby, you're a firework. What happens next? Boom, boom, boom. Brighter than the moon, moon, moon. But then eventually you go down after the firework and you disintegrate. Of course, fireworks do that. They go up, lots of light. Everybody goes, you are a firework. You're way up here, lights, lighting up the sky. But then what happens next? They fade, you can't see them. They disappear, I don't even know where that firework is now. It's gone, it's just disappeared into the grass. And a lot of people think that is the shape of the human life. My friend Glenn Scrivener, I got this idea from him. He writes this, we are the flotsam of a cosmic explosion, biological survival machines, wet robots, clinging to an insignificant rock, hurtling through a meaningless universe towards external extinction, eternal extinction. But still, the new flavored latte from Starbucks is incredible. And have you tried hot yoga? And we're renovating the kitchen. So that's nice. As the annihilating tsunami of time bears down on us, we obsess over our sandcastles, the promotion, the holiday, the new gadget, and we dare not look up. That is to say, if you believe in the end, it's all just you and nothing, and you disintegrate into the nothing, you've got to make, make hay while the sun shines and have your hot lattes and go on your holidays and do a thousand and one things before you die and then you're done. If comedies end with weddings and tragedies end with funerals, then life must surely be, by this view of the world, a tragedy. It all ends in tears in the end, with funeral, dirge, fade to black. And then Jesus turns it all upside down. Jesus pictures himself not as a firework going up, boom, 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 lighting up the sky and then fading and disappearing. Jesus pictures himself 
and his life and the shape of the world and you, not as a firework, but as a seed. Jesus says, I'm a seed. I go down in order that I might then come up. I've got some seeds here, these, these little beasts, they're tiny. I'm gonna throw them out over some of you guys. So I'm, I'm sorry about that, but you go, oh, look at that. I got a little pout there from somebody. She was very upset that she got seed. Now those things, you will basically, in a few years time, you might find poppies or apple trees or whatever these things are growing over you. Um, let's see if we can get some over there. Anybody see if I can reach you guys? Did any, make, any of them make you? Yeah, it's like raining on you, right? Not quite, okay. So seeds, you all know what seeds are. Tiny little things, they go down into the ground, they die, but then once they've died, they begin to germinate and out from within them comes new life. And Jesus says, you give it time, that thing might turn into a poppy or an apple or a grain of wheat, which is what Jesus is talking about and so on. And he said, this is the, this is the phrase that we read in John chapter 12. The hour has come, for the Son of Man, Jesus said, to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, this is one of the things that Jesus says that turns worldly wisdom on its head. So some of you are really kind of gloomy about this whole tragic arc of life because that's the way a lot of people in the world think whether they admit it or not. We're in this bit of the frown and we're heading down. But Jesus says, no, that is not the nature of my life. My life as the son of man is to be glorified by going down into the ground, into death, being beaten, being crucified, having my back ripped to pieces, being killed, being buried, and then to rise And then as I rise to take everybody else who is in faith in me and indeed the entire world into resurrection life so that they might be raised and then eventually as Jesus is ascended, seated at the right hand of the Father and rule forever and live happily ever after. And so the Christian story is fundamentally upside down from the world story. The world story is this world is a tragedy. Up, 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 up. Make most of it down, 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 down. Funeral. The Christian story is down, lose your life, give it up, hand it over to Jesus, death to self, resurrection, transformation, growth, mission, life, exaltation, eternal happiness, happily ever after. Can you see it's just the absolute opposite of the story that Lawrence Krauss and the Verve and many people in your community ultimately believe. Jesus doesn't picture himself as a firework going up and up with a bang only to come down into death. Jesus pictures himself as a seed going down into death only to come up with a deafening resurrection bang. That's the shape of the Christian story. It's one of those deliberately upside down things. Whoever loves his life loses it and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. It's deliberately topsy-turvy. Jesus is saying, I could hold on to my life. I could lead a normal life to the age of 60, 70, 80. In fact, being in very nature God, I could live forever and never give my life up. But if I did, I would remain a single seed. There'd only be one of me. I don't want there to be one risen, indestructible person in the world. 
I want there to be billions and billions and billions of them. I want life everywhere. And to that end, I'm going to go into the ground, I'm going to die, and by dying, I'm not going to remain alone, but the life in me, in the seed, is going to spread and become more and more seeds and more and more life and more and more seeds and more and more life forever. And it turns the arc of the universe on its head. And that's the narrative shape of Jesus and it's the narrative shape of Christianity. So the life of Jesus as a whole is shaped like a a smile, not like a frown. It's shaped like a seed and not like a firework. Most biographies don't do that. I don't know if you've read biographies, but if you ever have, a biography of a famous person goes, this person was born and no one knew who they were. But then at a young age, they came, they did this. This is where they were at school, la, la, la. But really the most interesting bit of the biography is the bit in the middle of the top of their career where they're a famous, whatever, footballer, musician, politician, general, who cares, but up here. And then at the end of their life, it sort of withered away and then they died. That's the shape of a human biography, except the Lord Jesus, who is in very nature God and doesn't consider equality with God something to be seized, but instead makes himself nothing taking the form of a slave and being found in human likeness takes on the form of death, takes on death, even death on a cross. But God has highly exalted him, raised him from the dead, ascended him to the right hand of the Father and given him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' life is shaped like a smile, not like a frown. He's shaped like a seed, not like a firework. And that's Jesus' story, and it's actually the story of the Bible as a whole. You start in paradise, you end up with betrayal, idolatry, exile, cross, resurrection, ascension, church, mission, happily ever after. It's the shape of Scripture. That's how it works. Now, You see, that's the life of Jesus and it's the life of the Bible. But I put it to you, if you are in Christ, that's your life as well. From the Christian's point of view, the life we lead now is at the low point of the smile. You see, I mentioned earlier about advertisers. Advertisers are trying to make money out of you being at the top of the frown, right? So right now, you're at the top of the frown. Spend, spend, spend while you can because soon you won't be able to. The Christian says the exact opposite. The Christian says, this is the worst bit. This is the bit of suffering and cross-bearing in anticipation of resurrection and vindication. And so you're now living in the low point of the smile, just about to go into the up. And then when you go into the up, in Christ, you'll be raised and exalted and vindicated and inherit eternity with him. So for the Christian, this is the worst it ever gets. That's a complete inversion of the way you think about life. And it's why we, for instance, baptize people. So I don't know if you've been baptized in water. If you haven't and you you say you follow Jesus, you should. And your application point from this message might be, I've got to get myself, I've got to go and do this. I may not feel like it, but this is what Jesus said. You do this if you want to follow me. And one of the reasons is because baptism in water is an enacting of this exact story. In baptism, you go down and then up. That's what Christians do. When Christians say, hey, welcome to Christianity, first thing we're gonna do is bury you. That's it, that's what we do. It's such a weird thing. 
Oh, and by the way, we're then gonna give you a meal that is, involves eating the body and blood of someone who died and rose again. It's, it's a very morbid set of what we call the sacraments, the things that the church feed on and use all the time to enact the message we preach. Baptism is about death. You go down in order that you might come up. Life, death, burial, new life, resurrection. Jesus could have said, unless a person goes into the water and dies, they remain alone. But if they die, they will bear much fruit. Now that's not what most organizations do when they initiate people into their club. Football managers or football players, when they just get transferred from one club to another. I'm a Liverpool fan, some of you probably are, many of you will not be, but when we sign a new player, we don't say, we're gonna, we're gonna bury this person, we're gonna destroy them. What they do is they say, hey, here's a picture, smiling with the shirt, standing next to the manager, Jurgen Klopp goes, yeah, yeah, they'll be very good, and then stand there, uh, smile like this. And then, of course, the manager, even more so, we are so grateful to have, sorry, this is a bit nasty to the Man United fans, we're so grateful to have Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as our manager. There's no wonderful to have him, smile, smile, lots of photos. A couple of years later, we're very grateful to Ole for his services to the club. And we're now gonna agree that he's gonna go off and do gardening or whatever he's doing now, I don't know. No, but it's the transition from, we are now gonna, we're gonna celebrate on the way in, this is great. But then when they leave, it's like, okay, now they're done. Christianity does the opposite. Christianity doesn't start with the high point. Christianity says, what we're gonna do is we're gonna start with death. Down into baptism, burial, and then up into new life. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, by the way, this doesn't work. If Jesus is still dead, then Christianity just goes down and stays there. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul says, the tomb was indeed empty and still is, and no one's ever found his body. And death is indeed now working backwards. And what has already happened to Jesus will one day happen to you and happen to the world. And because that is true, Jesus is like the template for everything. He's the forerunner. So he's already gone into death and up and out the other side. And you and I are kind of behind him on the, on the smile curve, right? So he's gone down. Like, imagine he's like that, a weight that's gone down into this curve, pulling you behind him. So he's shooting down the chute. He's already gone into death, up and out the other side. And you and I are behind him, but we're kind of here in the sort of bottom of the, of the swing at the moment, but being pulled up and out so that on the other side of death, resurrection awaits and then eternity. And that's the shape of the Christian story. Jesus gets sown in the ground on Good Friday and then rises again to bear much fruit on Easter Sunday. And creation itself, though now blighted by sin and death and bad weather and other things like that, is redeemed ultimately, fully and finally by its creator. And at the end of the story, if you read the Bible to the last page, heaven and earth get married. There's no funeral at the end of the Bible. In fact, there is. The only funeral is the funeral of death and hell. That's the funeral at the end of the Bible. Death itself, where's your sting? Come on, let's see. You've gone awfully quiet, death. Oh yeah, that's right. You've been buried and the rest of creation is having a wedding party to celebrate the abolition of sin, death, the devil and everything that goes with it. The story of scripture does not end with a dirge or a funeral march. It ends with a wedding banquet and everyone is invited. So for the Christian, life is shaped like a comedy. Life is shaped like a seed, not like a firework. Now that doesn't mean 
It's really important this. It doesn't mean that we're naive about suffering. It doesn't mean what I'm saying to you, hey, everything's fine. No, the chances are that for many of us in this room right now, everything is not fine at all. Because we're living at this point of the smile. We're living in a world in which those things still have power, in which sin and death and the devil do still afflict us. And it's really hard. Suffering is a present reality. In fact, I think Christians, if they understand this, Christians take suffering much more seriously than they would if they bought into the, the, the tragedy story. Because in the tragedy story, this is the good bit. Woohoo! go party, thousand and one things to do before you die. Christians are saying, no, that's not the deal now. We're now in, in a difficult period. It's got lovely things. The grace of God is still here. God has made a good world. He loves us, but it is hard. It is a trial. And Paul says, yeah, these light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us a weight of glory beyond all comparison. But right now, it is painful. And so if you understand this vision of the Christian life, this, the seed goes into the ground and dies, you understand that's the shape of Jesus's life and the story of scripture and your life, you'll actually have a much less naive view of suffering than someone sitting next to you at school who has a much higher view of what the way this life is now, but ultimately sees it as tragic. My experience and my expectation of this life is that it's actually harder and more painful than many of my friends who are not Christians think it is. But death leads to resurrection. Falling into the ground leads to great fruitfulness. Baptism leads to new life. Friday turns into Sunday. Graves turn into gardens. Weeping lasts for the night but joy cometh in the morning. That's the Christian story. So whether things are going well for you right now or whether things are going really, really painfully for you, and they will for some, some are absolutely on the edge. It's everything you could do today to get within earshot of me right now. Like this, is, this isn't a big achievement in your day given what you've got going on in your life. Others of us like, Ashley, if I didn't know, I'd say this is actually pretty easy, this life. My family love me. I'm doing okay at school. I've got friends. I'm doing well. Whichever of those two ends of the spectrum you're on is helpful for you to remember that your life, like the life of the Lord Jesus, is shaped like a seed going into the ground, dying, and rising that it might bear much fruit. It's shaped like a smile, a comedy, not shaped like a frown, a tragedy. Some of us today are walking on sunshine. Some of us are walking on eggshells. Some of us are walking on broken glass. Jesus never said it would be easy this side of the cross. And his life wasn't a picnic either. But he did say one thing that turns the tragedy of death and carpe diem and YOLO and the tragic shape of the, of the world and the verve, bittersweet symphony and Lawrence Krauss and all of those things. He said something turns all of that absolutely upside down. He said, very truly I tell you, Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. But anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You just stand. The band are going to come out and help us. Can you stand? But you can stand quietly. Thank you so much.
You know, we get, we're gonna use our, we use our physical bodies in worship. You do that, you know, that's why we, that's why one of the worship leaders was kneeling during the song. That's why we raise hands because we're engaging our physical bodies in the act of receiving and declaring God's truth in music. That's why we're doing it. We're gonna sing a song, but I wanna pray for you. I'm gonna ask, could you just, if you're in Christ, you know, if you're not a believer, you don't have to do this, of course. I can't make you do it anyway. But if you're in Christ, you can just raise your hands to God. Yeah, just, we're just gonna, I'm gonna pray for you, pray a blessing on you, and then we're gonna sing, Holy Father, I pray your spirit would fill this tent as we declare and experience again the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that your death and resurrection mean that the shape of our lives and the shape of this world is ultimately ends happily ever after and not in terrible tragedy. There are sufferings now, but joy comes in the morning and I pray for my brothers and my sisters and those who are not yet either, that you would descend now in power you would fill us with your spirit. You would fill us with joy. You would equip us to live in the light of this comic life, ultimately, that in which we are raised to new life and inherit eternity with you. But to persevere through the painful bit of it, which we're in right now, at the bottom of the smile, would you give us your grace? Would you give us your strength? Would you give us power? And would you give us your love to carry us through in Jesus' name? Amen.